Welcome to episode two of the 5050 podcast. Mm-hmm. Welcome to 5050, a music podcast presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to episode two. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Hester, and we, of course, have Barrett Chair with us. Hey. Hey, yeah. Barrett Chair. How are you doing? We are the music guys. We love music. This is 5050 a Music Podcast, and I think we're just going to get right on into it. How yeah, about let's, that? Let's do it, baby. What are we going to do first, Barrett? Where are we going? We're going to talk about Purple Mountains. Purple This is Mountains. This is kind of the... Uh, the bridge between my pop sensibilities and Mike's indie proclivities. Uh, this is a band that's fronted by, or that was fronted by a man named David Berman, poet, a songwriter, musician, mm-hmm. who had formed a band previously called the Silver Jews or Silver Jews. Uh, had links to Pavement back in the '90s. Uh, had some overlap between members of Pavement and the Silver Jews, and r- basically were you know, indie gods back in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, peaking probably with 1998's American Water album. And I'm sorry I'm taking over all this stuff, but after the Silver Jews uh, disbanded, I think around 2007 or so. I I think it was 2009. I was, yeah. 2009? Yeah. Uh, I'll get into those latter day albums later on, but like uh, David Berman took 10 years off. Uh-huh. A decade off from the public eye, from putting out new music, um, had a few projects that that kind of fizzled out, uh, but uh, generally took that decade off from music in 2019, came back with a new band uh, called Purple Mountains that doesn't have any Silver Jews overlap, and put out an album that sounds very much like the Silver Jews and is excellent. I love it. I yes. love it. I was uh, listening to it this morning and, and going through all the songs. It's different from Silver Jews, and I feel that it's more direct, more straightforward. Yeah. And because of that, the lyrics kind of hit you right away. And yeah. for me, uh, I listened to the album this morning and did what I think you should do with the Berman album, is I read the lyrics along with it while I was going mm-hmm. and, and reading those in. I went to this site, Genius.com, where yeah. people would leave notes yeah. and talk about the lyrics and, you know, little little bits that you may have missed from it. And it's just such a rewarding experience. The guy is such a great lyricist. Mm-hmm. For me, it, it's, it, you know, it's a sad album. It's, mm-hmm. it's a breakup album, and there's some like existential stuff on there about God. There's some talk about losing his mom and how that affected him. I'm still my mother's son. Mm-hmm. And it is such a deep feeling. It's the sort of thing that makes me feel, and I think a lot of people feel like more connected to the world because these are those sort of, rough feelings right Mm -hmm. and you can put that into music and make great music from it and it just makes me feel good yeah yeah even and it's an emotionally honest album it's funny that it makes you feel good because there's some depressing depressing shit there is but we've all had that depressing shit in our life it's part of the reason why when i was younger i was such a big i was really into you know punk rock and stuff because there's a lot of it's depressing and unhappy and angry and well i felt like that plenty yeah but then I like felt a connection to other people and to the world. Like, oh, I'm not alone in feeling these things. And I feel that, especially with some of the existential stuff on that song, Margarita's at the Mall, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite songs of the year. And he talks about a subtle God and we can't see God and, and, and all of that. And it, it's, it's great as someone who has, I, I speak about it me, but I think I'm speaking for a lot of people. Who has wrestled with God and mm-hmm. why God does not talk to us, and we're just on this sort of planet, you know? Uh, and it was—I'm kind of at a lost words. It's just great. It just grabs you. you yeah. Know? Part of the reason that David Berman resonated so much with, especially, and I'm—I'm I'm saying this pejoratively, but I mean it with love. The cool kids <laughs> uh, is that he wasn't a phony. No. You can't—you can't get buy in especially indie rock by being a poser it just no. it just you just can't do it no. that's why they hate people like billy corgan and courtney love yeah. historically this is kind of like the targets of of uh people or bands like pavement and bands like silver jews is because there's there's a there's an aura of you know inauthentic inauthenticity 
And with the Silver Jews and with David Berman himself and Stephen Malcolmus for uh, Pavement and the Jicks too, there's a level of honesty there that you just can't fake. And yeah. with Berman, it was the honesty combined with the lyricist. Now, He's he's never and, and he's has admitted this. He's not the best singer. He's not even a good singer. No. He's not even the best musician. He's not really even a good musician. But the the ability to sonically put these words in together. I mean, with with Silver Jews, you know, the the famous opening line of Random Rules in American Waters. In 1984, I was hospitalized for approaching perfection. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how a brain forms phrases like that and just the way they're delivered by this deep sonorous type of almost monotone delivery <laughs> is very affecting and I think he lost his way or his ability to do that in the Latter-day Silver Jews albums in my opinion there are some gems on there but Purple Mountains is him back with his full voice and his full personality it's a little different. I, I had a funny experience because I love the Silver Juice and I really I love the lyrics. Going through and reading the lyrics, mm-hmm. that's been the best thing for me. With Purple Mountains, I I personally thought it just it reached a whole other level. It really connected with me in a way that the Silver Juice I always liked and some people just absolutely loved it. Purple Mountains for me was just like, just, just an all-time classic mm-hmm. album that I connected to immediately and I don't know if it's because the words are a little bit more direct, or they definitely are. They are no, you're absolutely right direct. because at, at at towards the end, starting at 2001, Bright Flight was was the album that uh, that you started to see just what a, the opposite of what I'm talking about, like a little bit of artifice, like yeah. he's he's singing things like you're. Come with me, move, leave Kentucky, and move to Tennessee because you're the only ten I see. That yeah. little like cliche line that he's saying ironically, but also, why do you do stuff like that? And and it it got even worse with you know Tanglewood Numbers is a good album I think overall, but you started hearing this Nashville sheen on yeah. the music and like the lyrics just weren't hitting as impactfully and. He, I mean, he wrote a song called "Fucking Darkness and Cold" <laughs> on this Purple Mountains album. That's my favorite song on that fucking it's album. It's an amazing song. It's, and it it's hits totally you right ludicrous. In the gut. Oh my god! And and the video is so great because he's just walking around his house, just moaning in this existential. Uh-huh. Well, it's actually. <laughs> But and the lyrics are just literally about how awful everything is. But it th- that's where it's all stripped down and saying like, all right, yeah, you're getting you're getting my feelings uh, through this music and through these lyrics, and it's fucking amazing. I, I wanted to go back to Margaritas at the Mall for a minute. I love the the idea of this sort of fake cocktail at a mall, sort of like a fake place. I mean, I love Margaritas, and I've spent plenty of time at the mall. But it you know it's like all it's like. It's like inauthentic Mexican kind of thing that we all all take a part of, and combining that with God, it just brings about that feeling of like despair, like existential despair, and having that margarita at the mall makes it feel like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, first of all, there, there's a million things going for this album. Uh, not only is it amazing, but it came out of nowhere. I mean, like I said, the, the guy's been off. For a decade, just recently uh, divorced his wife of many years, girlfriend, yeah. wife of many years. And like it, it it came out of nowhere and like, okay, you can say like, you know, somebody releases an album out of nowhere, but the the quality, the fact that like even in limited interviews, which he actually gave uh, before this album came out, you could tell that like he was ready. He had to be ready. He had to be ready for this album to come out and for this music to be in the shape that mm-hmm. he wanted it. And even though it took so long, he got it out, and it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, it, I I thought the musicianship is is fantastic, and I thought even his singing, the silver some of the silver juice singing always kind of was it bothered me a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and I guess it bothered a lot of people, and that's um, why the lyrics are part of it. I thought on this he he put his best foot forward. I thought experience and time really aged his voice well and made the music just just fantastic yeah i was hopeful he was getting to a better place yeah yeah you got to have a little experience behind the voice it's like when johnny cash released the american recordings late in his career and you could hear just like the dust uh, accumulated on his vocal cords 
And there is some of that, but there's still some youthful exuberance. There's still, in fact, one of my favorite uh, uh, songs on the album, Maybe I'm the Only One for Me, uh, which yeah. Dan Albrecht actually co-wrote. Yeah. Uh, you can hear a little bit of like the... Uh, it's, like, it's like a country song. <laughs> there's, a, there's An early Silver Juice song was called Rebel Jew. Yes. And uh, it starts off with Berman going, In the times I dreamed of Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just can't hit the note. <laughs> but it's so endearing. I love it. it. Is. Uh, but it's But it's bad. It's objectively bad. <laughs> and so he's got a little bit of that on that last song. But I love it. I mean, it's just like a big old warm hug, um, and I'm glad that that he put it out. Do you think that this is the album that's going to last? I feel some of the Silver Juice stuff is like like the pavement. That it really does belong to a certain era. Hmm. And this one, I f- maybe it's just because I'm experiencing it right now. It does feel maybe like a more timeless sound, but that could just be my experience. You know, it, that's a great question because... I got turned on to Silver Jews, so they started, their first one was Starlight Walker in 94, somewhere around there? Uh, yes, it was 94. Yeah, because 96 was Natural Bridge, and then 98 was American Water. Uh-huh. Uh, and I got turned on to them right around the turn of the century, so right 99, 2000, stuff like that. And to me, and I, I really started listening to them over the, the course of that decade, and to me, it didn't sound like a 90s record. Now, Slanted and Enchanted, a Pavement album, or like Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, those sound '90s to oh, me. Oh yeah, but uh, American Water, I think, is the most timeless uh, of their albums um, because there's so many genres. There's a little funk guitar on a few of these things. There's straight up country with "Honk If You're Lonely Tonight." Yeah. Uh, there's there's some straight up country on this Purple Mountains album. Oh too. yeah, straight up. Uh, so I I would think it is up there with American Water as the most timeless sounding records. I think that, yeah, I would agree with that because American Water is pretty much considered a classic yeah. by anyone, and, and it is. Uh, and I think Purple Mountains is, I think it's going to be there in the same place. Uh, yeah, so this is this is definitely in contention for my favorite album of the year yeah, so far. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, do you want to go into his death any? Or yeah, we just, should mention yeah. that uh, David Berman, uh, unfortunately, uh, he do, do we know if he committed suicide? We know that he committed suicide and that... Yeah, he had he had tried before, and it just I guess just the depression of his situation was just is too much. He said he had treatment resistant depression. Yeah, yeah, and it at the end he just couldn't. Yeah, which is a shame because there's treatment for treatment resistant depression. But yeah, yeah, I mean it's such a shame, and and it it impacted me personally. I don't usually. I mean, when Johnny Cash died, I was like "Mm, I was pretty bummed out. Yeah, Uh, but this one, especially given. That he had just put out some of his best work after yeah. such a long layoff, and was about to tour, and I was looking forward to that, yeah, and yeah. that, and I couldn't listen to music for like a day. Yeah, and I don't think I'm the only one. And you saw a lot of pourings, uh, outpourings of of grief and emotion. Bands putting out songs and you know doing tributes on stage. And Bill Callahan did a couple of songs and and the like. And from all over the place mm. too, there were some like hard hard rock hardcore bands doing it and then you'd have like a softer band like this is the kit put out a couple of songs in tribute to him and it because he affected everyone there was a, like mm-hmm. a big poetry outreading somewhere in chicago where just a bunch of people got together to to read his poems and what a moving tribute because he touched so many people's lives and we're all so much better for having him around yeah so. and i hate poetry but I love Actual Air, his book of poetry, yeah, his only great. book of poetry that he put out. Uh, Drag City actually uh, released it yes. under their publishing label. And uh, yeah, I read and reread that thing a million times. And like I said, I, 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 I shouldn't say I hate poetry. I just don't get poetry. Yeah. And this guy's poetry was, was dope. Mm-hmm. You can go and look at the language of just about any song, and you're going to find some turn of phrase somewhere i forget which song it is somewhere on um it's the on natural bridge where he said they uh stars of the headlights of angels mm-hmm. and that just got to me i just things like that mm-hmm. they just don't leave your brain yeah so, guy's a genius guy, he will be missed he was yes indeed yes indeed he hated me <laughs> <laughs> all right no, no i, I want to say that. you mentioned bill callahan i actually yes. ran into uh David, Ber- I've run into David Berman a few times, and I, I won't go into details. Uh, and that's I, that's also why I think it personally affected me. Yeah, uh, because I had met him probably five or six times or something like that. One of the times was at a club called The End in Nashville when Smog was playing. Yeah, and he showed up, 
at the time, we had just recently interacted, and he left after looking at me. <laughs> I swear to God. Now, it may not have had anything to do with me, but I'm just Holy saying shit. that he walked in, looked at me. The show hadn't started uh-huh. yet. Uh, looked at me, and then walked the fuck back out. So I don't know if it had to do with me, but yeah, there was there was uh, a few interactions, uh, and, and he was... I, I did have a long, protracted conversation with him at a, a place called The Gold Rush, and that was, you know, the longest time that I spent with him. And it was fascinating. The guy yeah. is just absolutely fascinating. Yes. So, yeah. He was one of the uh, pioneers moved into East Nashville as well, which is now a whole thing in you know, yeah, where is. I live. Yeah, and uh, there's a little community called Tanglewood in East Nashville as well, which ah, yeah. I only put that together in the last couple of days. And mm-hmm. That must be where he got that from. So, yeah. All right. From David Berman to Taylor Swift. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in case you haven't heard, Taylor Swift uh, uh, released a new album called Lover, uh-huh. uh, which is such a f- fucked up title. Like, who says lover? You're, you're, you, you, here's my lover. It was, it was parodied. And uh, in, on Saturday Night Live by Will Ferrell oh, and yeah. uh, Rachel Dratch, when they were like, oh, it's a lover. We, we, we took our love out to the pasture and ate lamb shanks with juice running down our chin. And so Taylor is reclaiming the word lover. Uh, do, you, do you think that was her idea? Is that the sort of thing that's focus grouped? We'll just like, we'll have lover. And, and it's I think kind it's of totally thing, her idea. Just after talking about Berman, you talked about his authenticity. And then you go to like some focus group driven crap. And you t- <laughs> this is the hard part with top 40. And, and that even though there's a lot of talent and production and ability, sometimes looking past a, a title as bad as Lover really makes it hard to do. Yeah. yeah. And I want to do it because I know she's a really talented musician. She is. She is. And, and this album, by the way, so uh, her most recent album before this was called Reputation. And that didn't, that wasn't very well received, right? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird because two albums ago it was called 1989. Uh-huh. And it had the, the titles like Shake It Off and Out of the Woods and, uh, and uh, Blank Space and like just a million style, just like all these hits. The whole album, start to finish, is spectacular. It's a great album. Shake It Off is a great song. I know oh, that. yeah. That, thanks to the Sing soundtrack. I know that very no, well. No, there you go. <laughs> Uh, and then after some public feuds and after, and it had bad blood on 1989, by the way, which was about Katy Perry. Yeah. And so she had some feuds. She had some, uh, issues with Kanye and Kim Kardashian and stuff like that. And, you know, God bless her. She's her own person. She put this album out that, that's basically addresses all of her haters. And it was like a heel turn almost like, yeah. And which I'm fine with, I'm fine with, but the music was bad on reputation. The, the instrumentation was bad. The syncopation was bad. She would hit weird words within her vor- verses and stuff like that. And so I thought, you know, maybe she's just lost it. And then Lover comes out. It ain't perfect. There's a lot of bubble gum. There's a lot of filler. But the 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 the, uh, the hits, and I I don't mean like radio singles. The, the where it does well, it does very very well. So Mike, continuing yeah. what we did last time. Yeah. I am going to play you the title track from the album Lover for a song called Lava. Lava. And you're going to okay. hear this for the first time. It's fairly short. And uh, so we're going to see your Insta reaction to this right after this. All right. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched the video and uh, we listened to the song Lava. What did you think, Mike? Working through my motions here, I'm I'm moved. Yeah, yeah. That's that was a. Uh, I have my criticisms. Uh-huh. We'll get to that, but I like when a song goes to like an emotional place. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep thinking, and maybe this is just the way I think. I hear a song that I think if you had a lesser known group, an indie group, record it, it would be just like it'd be kind of a classic track for that person but maybe taylor swift doesn't get that I, i'm i am surprised actually mm-hmm. because that would fit into some of the more indie music area that's a good song she wrote a good song yeah i wish it were a lot less sappy yeah it's really sappy and especially with 
it's almost like, I want to love you. You know, I've spent three summers with you. I want to spend all the rest of the summers <laughs> with you. It's like, what? <laughs> the exact opposite of lyricism for David Berman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, she's had some good lines over the years, but this, this is more of a mood than it is, you know, a, a wordy classic. Yeah, it is. And, uh, the production is interesting. What's his name? Did the production in that right? Jack um, Antonoff. That's it. I yes. couldn't. I didn't want to say his last name. It's He's too the much pop of a whisperer. Tongue twister for me. Who also did a lot of the Lana Del Rey stuff that came out the next week. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, so he's all over the place. You you feel like he had a lot to do with the instrumentation on that, which is funny because in the video she's like playing drums. And yeah, she's <laughs> playing the violin and, and the, the fucking vocoder or whatever. Yeah, it is. so I don't know if she's really doing that, but. That's a good song. It, it it's moving and yeah, it, it's kind of weird that it's through a, a kid's eye. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the video is is, is yeah. We watch, uh, we watch the video if you're at home. It's a beautiful. I, I always like these primary colors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, popping. It's it's almost. I'm not comparing it, but it's almost Kubrickian, uh, where you have all these stark contrasts of primary yeah. colors, and uh, I'm I'm a fan of that. It's you know I like that she's. Mixing it up a little bit because everything in pop is the same chord progression, the same uh, beats per minute, the same now, um, and the the same key and stuff like that. And yeah. this one, she she switches it up to a three four time signature, and does kind of a waltz. It's almost evocative of uh, the Pogues fairy tale in New York, uh, you know, where it's like it's not that good. No, it's not nearly that good. But it's got that swinging like waltz type beat, um, and I think this is this is my favorite song off of that album for sure. And it's I would totally recommend it. How was that doing? Because I did, I don't know is that getting a lot of radio play or is it is that charting or weirdly enough? So she's released it, four singles basically. She's released uh, this song called "Me!" Yeah. Exclamation point! Me! Uh-huh. Uh, with Brandon Brandon Yuri from uh, Panic at the Disco. That's gotten the most amount of radio play. Um, and then she did, uh, the second single was You Need to Calm Down, which was the big LGBTQIA anthem. And that's pro- that's actually gotten the most radio play. Um, it's not a bad song. It's got a great message. Uh, it's it a, would have been a lot better message about 10 years ago, but yeah, well, now yeah, that exactly. everyone yeah, basically yeah, agrees yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and then she released uh, The Archer, which I think you've heard, right? Yeah, I've heard that. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sleepy song. It's pretty good. I, I forgot it as soon as I heard it. Yeah, no. and this one this one actually sticks with you. Uh, this is the fourth single. So the yeah, first two have really gotten a lot of legs. That song's going to be in my head later because mm. da 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 Lover. <laughs> Lover. <laughs> and you can go to Music Video Sends, by the way, on YouTube. We just released our oh. video on oh, nice. Lover I today. Go. Today, yes. I got to go look at that. It, she has, you wonder what she listens to for fun because you feel like like there is kind of an indie appeal to that song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got it. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because when we do talk about Lana Del Rey, I want to ask you about her influences. But yes, I, I do. It's like uh, it's like I compare this to Justin Timberlake. I love Justin Timberlake as a an entity. Yes, as a pop Me too. icon. Yes, I don't really like any of his music. No. Very little of his music. But I think I like the music that he listens to. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like I think he's influenced by the right things. His output just isn't really my my jam. But I think he listens to stuff that's a lot more interesting than what he what he gives us. When you get to see him like on Saturday Night Live, like, oh, I like him. Yeah. I like him a lot. <laughs> and he was in the Tiger Woods golf game. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh yeah, hell yeah. And he was like one of the best players in the game. <laughs> that's what made me realize he's kind of a cool person. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I think it's similar to that. I think I think a lot of these pop artists, uh, excluding the really young ones like the Camila Cabello, Camila Cabello or, uh, you know, kind of more youthful, exuberant type of uh, uh, performers, I think the older ones have a lot more of, a, of an influence on them. Yeah. Uh, Billie Eilish, I think, has a lot more... Uh, but she's she's kind of excluded. Lil Nas X, I think, has a lot more variety of of influence, but he's kind of excluded too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I agree. I think she she listens to good shit. I want to mention with the uh, Old Town Road that when we got done here, I took went home and played it for my kids, mm-hmm. and they just absolutely love it. So yeah. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now nice. we play some top forty radio a little bit in yeah. the car. So yeah. I like it, man. Yeah, I like yeah. it. It's good stuff. It's a good song. 
why don't we move to your topic? And uh, we may spend a lot of time on this because I'm, I'm curious about what your thoughts are. So we're going to go into how music is being released uh, these days and that it's uh, a little bit different. I, I'm someone, I think a lot of people are, people who are following this online, waiting for the latest songs to come out. Say you have a band who's going to put out an album in like October. Mm-hmm. Say around July or something, so two or three months before, they will release one song, usually the best song on the album. And and they'll have, you know, we're announcing October 23rd, we're putting out this album, this song's going to be on the album. And usually it's a great song, and you're like, oh, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. And you listen to it a lot, and it's the only new song you have, and it might be a month mm-hmm. that you had that new song. And then, say a month, month and a half before it, then they'll put out another song. And, you know, assuming it's, it's your sort of thing, it's like, oh, that's a good song too. And you get to spend a couple of weeks with that, and they put may put out one two three more songs mm-hmm. it's not uncommon yeah for an album to have five or six songs on this that that you've already heard before the album comes out and they may be they may all be great with this latest line of array they were all they're all great every mm-hmm. one of them mm-hmm. and then so you're excited like oh boy the album's coming out and finally that october date comes and and you may even stay up late to listen to the album and then you just get like the other half of the album released all at once, and it's all the songs that weren't good enough to be singles. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Well, I've heard all the good stuff, right? And and so you're just all jazzed up and excited for a new song. Yeah. And and it's not there. There was um, a, on August 23rd. There's this artist that's not as well known, named Esther Rose, who put out a ten song album. And released five singles from it beforehand, mm. and all five I thought were either really, really good or fantastic. And I listened to them over and over, and I, you know, played them on my radio show and all that. And then the day the album came out, it's like, oh, great, they're gonna be, you know, got five more songs coming. And I listened to them once, mm. and it's like, yeah, the other, the other ones aren't that good. I mean, they're okay. They didn't immediately grab me, yeah. and it was five songs at once, which I, I, you know, I didn't get into it that well. Uh, the following week, Lana Del Rey's album came out, mm-hmm. um, and she's, I'll get into a little bit more here in a minute, but she released six songs mm. that were on the album, and all six were phenomenal, and then she put out these other ones, including like three songs that were co-written by her and uh, this other guy who, uh, it was kind of her, you know, a lot of her older stuff, it's, you know, we're drinking, we're partying, <laughs> we're, we're being sexy, and we're in California, and that... No, it's cool. It's awesome. Uh-huh. I love, but it, it wasn't necessarily my thing, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, And then all these other songs are really deep and personal and really, really I connected with. So I like to listen to those other songs once. Yeah. And it, it kind of came out. I still see the idea of the album because when it came out, it was a big deal. Everybody was talking about it. Uh, they just announced it's going to go to number one in the UK. I'm guessing... I don't know if, if Taylor Swift will beat her out here, but it could be number one here. Mm. The album is gonna the album is big and everyone's talking about it. And all of the great songs I heard from a month up to even a year ago. Yeah. 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 So this is converse to how did it used to, to happen? You would have one lead single. Uh-huh. Record would come out. Yes. And then you would have if you're lucky, two or three more singles come off of it uh, that that release after the the album is released. Yes. How I used to gauge whether I would buy an album or not is unless it was an indie thing that you read about in a, in a magazine. I would say if I heard three singles that sounded good, I'm going to buy the album. Yeah. Right? Yes. And uh, and that was basically my kind of my 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 gatekeeping mechanism. It's totally different now. I w- we were just talking about Lover. Those four singles had come out, out before before this. Now there's other good songs on on uh-huh. Lover, uh, but yeah, Lana Del Rey. I could have sworn that album was out six months ago. Yeah, because there was so much shit out there. Well, I'm we're trained now with streaming, and I don't want to say it's better the way it used to be because it's better now that I can pay ten dollars and hear anything I want mm-hmm. all the time. I am just saying it is weird that I am trained. To hear all the singles, to like it, and maybe listen to the album once if I'm really into it, mm-hmm. and then you know, then it's done. Mm-hmm. Like the next day, I'm I'm done with the album and I'm uh, on to the next thing. And I feel like will Taylor Swift released another single on, <laughs> on this? I don't know. I feel like it's kind of already out. She, she may release another video. She, she may have yeah. the ability to. I don't. She think, does. Yeah. I don't think most other artists will have the ability to. I don't think Lana Del Rey is going to release another single. No. 
Well, it, it, I, yeah. it, 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 do you hear another single off of that? I mean, there, there might be. There's a lot of swearing on many of these songs. But, you mean but, "Fuck It, I Love You"? Fuck it, I love you. Yeah. It's such a great song. The first song, Norman Fucking Rockwell, is uh, yeah. The whole album, really, by the way, it's Norman Fucking Rockwell. Uh, I have one. Got to do it aside about the album cover. Uh huh. That is the best worst worst album cover of all time when i first time i saw that i thought oh my god <laughs> what have they done but it has grown on me to where it's just it's like in your face ugly sort of thing so <laughs> yeah anyway. it's weird because album covers really haven't become as synonymous with the the songs they're in you know yeah. these days at all right i mean uh-huh. you know you can point to something like maybe this is almost 10 years old, but my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, like you picture that album cover. Yeah. Um, you think of, I think of 1989 Taylor Swift and I, I can picture that album cover. You think about, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, what are some other indelible album covers that have come out at least in the, in the mainstream. Now I'm sure King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is well, colorful ones. because they have the fantastic artist yeah. who does all of their, so they have a definite style to theirs and you can remember some of the earlier Lana Del Rey because it's her and you know she's attractive and it has a certain fonts on there mm-hmm. um and you remember some but a lot of these you know you, you don't really remember it's it's almost like the album release date has just become the day that everybody accepts we're going to talk about them mm-hmm. and that's the only reason for an album yeah it's like for a PR what Lana Del Rey did for this album she wrote some fantastic songs. Venice Bitch is I NPR called it her stairway to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> That's on their Friday morning podcast. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I can't get it out of my head. I can't get it out of my out of my head because it's one of my favorite songs of all time. And the, wow. and the thing that she did with that and her other song that I think is absolute classic, which was uh uh, hope is hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have, but I have it. Yeah, uh, those two songs are songs that are going to live with me for you know as long as I'm alive. Mm-hmm. And that last one, the hope song, it's just like her and a piano. It is just absolutely gorgeous. And you know, for someone like me, who grew up going to church. She talks about growing up going to church and being in the basement. And, and and you know, I haven't figured out all the lyrics, but I've read through them like five, ten times. Yeah. She's a great songwriter, and she put she wrote that just like recorded it and got it out as soon as she could, at like eight eight months or so before the album even came out. Yeah, it came yeah, out yeah. like January, and the album came out in August, yeah. something like that. And I love that about her that she had to get this song out, and it makes me think: Will we get to the point where that's where some of these artists, especially the inspired ones, are able to to get to where they put out a song? You know, you can just put it out. Mm-hmm. You can just start streaming it immediately. Do you even need an album? It feels like the only reason to have an album is for PR. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Halsey did this fairly recently uh, with a song called Without Me that uh, that has no, it's not tied to a soundtrack. It's not tied to an album. She mm-hmm. literally just said, I have to get this out there. It was something that was important to me. I think it was about a former relationship with one of those white rappers, Machine Gun Kelly or Easy yeah, G yeah. or whatever it is. G, easy G. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so she she just said, I want to get the, and I, it's a bad song. I don't know why she felt like she had to uh-huh. get this out. It's shitty. But uh, I, I love Halsey. But uh, yeah, I think that is probably what's going to happen is more reliance on singles, more reliance on individual songs, more reliance on YouTube. I mean, I know that you use Spotify most of the time. I do Amazon Music largely because I have the Alexa at home and yeah. we can just, I can just pull it up whenever I want. Yeah. But, you know, Spotify's great. All of those are putting out just about the same thing. They're so. not getting revenue, I don't think, from Spotify. They're getting revenue from YouTube, especially, yeah. say, if it's, a, if it's a big song. Alana Del Rey, she did uh, Fuck It, I Love You, combined with another song, maybe the greatest. Uh, the greatest. Uh, uh-huh. it's, it's just one another video. brilliant, wonderful song. So. I got I got problems with that song, but we'll come back to that. But you're getting... <laughs> yeah. So Lana Del Rey can put out uh, an original audio uh, video on her channel. Uh-huh. Then she can do a lyric video on yes. her channel. Yeah. And then she can do an official music video on her channel. Uh-huh. So you got three streams of revenue coming in. And we're talking about, you know, millions of views. Oh, yeah. That ain't nothing to shake that the dick at. Up. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, 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 this is something that, that they can park 
and say, well, they can add a little bumper at the end of it saying my album comes out September 27th or something like that. But meanwhile, here's, you know, tens of millions of views for this actual video. Uh Uh-huh. So you have problems with the greatest? I'm sorry, I can't get past it. it, It's a little sappy, a little maybe looking back and being a little nostalgic, which, you know, but it's... Is that the one that has the the line, all my friends miss rock and roll? Yeah, it does. And that's... Okay, that line's cheesy. I'll agree. You know what? She's even said, like, she wished she'd said indie rock or something like that. This is my problem! This is my problem! Is what is her deal? I watched... It's like a nine-minute video total. And I watch it, and as I was going through, I was like, you know, she's over there, she's at a jukebox, and she's picking a national song, and like, she, I'm like, what the fuck is her deal? Like, she's so, she's so forthcoming with her lyrics, but I, I do like it. I like the atmosphere, and I like her delivery. I just don't know what her deal is. Her deal seems like she's bifurcated, like she's, she's, she's in, she's trying to play both sides. She's, she's a pop princess, but she's also like that, got this indie cred and stuff like that. And like, I don't, I don't get her deal. I don't get her deal. I've been wrestling with that. I was looking through some of her old albums, and it's like she'll be a co-writer. Yeah, with a lot of people. She's a, well, yeah. You, like you said, Antonoff wrote like Antonoff a half design, doing a lot. Seventy percent. There's some guy. Was it Nichols or something? You have the Wikipedia. Up. Uh, Rick Nowles. Nowles. Yeah. Who? Okay, this is total theorizing. Mm-hmm. I could be way off base here, but it's almost like she's afraid to just like do it just all by herself. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know how this, I, I this don't stuff know. works anymore because you know Taylor Swift co-wrote co-writes all of her own songs. Yeah. Uh, this has been Taylor and Lana with Mike and Barrett. Uh, she co-writes all of her own songs, but there's there's only a handful since her early stuff where she's just written it solo. And I don't know if that's you know you, it's like uh, when we write cinema sense scripts or music video sense scripts, it's rarely just one person because that's just a singular perspective. Yes, you need to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. So I don't know. It 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 is good, but when. The songs that connect the most that I think are the classic ones. I don't feel like she co-wote yeah. Bennis Bitch with someone. Maybe she did. Maybe that somebody else put some some it of that in there. Antonoff is on it now. is. I did he just do some of the sounds or could be. Could be. I don't know. Especially with the uh hope is a dangerous thing to have for a woman like me to have, but I have it. That just feels like it's coming straight from the gut. Yeah. Well, if somebody helped write her, God bless do that all the time. But, yeah, yeah. But the the lyrics just sound just just hit you hard. So I feel that's there. I hate when she does the nostalgia stuff. There's one song on there, uh, something about making a record or, or something. Uh, <laughs> God, I can't stand that song. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's all of just the stuff that doesn't really do it for me. So that so you're making when a record she, and we're doing it in yeah. California. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the stuff that grates on When she's hitting... And you know the the old the, the I guess the previous album she released something between uh, her first album and this she's had a few she had lust for life and some things like that I oh, lust, to lust for life, for life and lust for life was good yeah um, but the the album that had uh, video games on it that uh, was uh, much or uh, uh, born to die born to die yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that one when it hit it hit I yeah. mean she was. Yeah it, it, it was there was a sultriness to it and I don't mean this in a, in a uh, in a way that's salacious or anything like that, she was just she was on her bullshit, but it was good bullshit. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. Um, like she was, she seemed like she embodied this character that she brought out in this very like sultry sort of way. Um, and I dug it. I dug yeah. the, the instrumentation. I dug. I dug her voice a lot. And you know, she's she ain't hard on the eyes either. No, obviously but now she's gotten older and is looking back on that. Mm-hmm. And. It can be one of the greatest, maybe a little much. With Venice Bitch, it's just great because she's like looking back to this past, but also like, you know, we're getting high now because we're older is one of the lines in there. And I like that. She's just like, okay, we're now we're at this other place. We can remember some of the older times, but she's getting older and more mature as an artist. And it's really, really coming out and, and is as just hit hard now you can hear the maturity mm-hmm. in a lot of these works i wish she would leave the like i'm a hot no not i'm a hot chick whatever just like the you know just like the california yeah well just, just like that there's no I'm artist drinking. that's been this california since red hot chili peppers i, I, I know but it's like <laughs> that style where she has to have like this is how, what she's presenting like who she is like you know i'm this cool chick or whatever and we're going drinking i'm with these guys and yes i and, and, and we're in california and it just 
that just doesn't really do it. Yeah, no, I agree. Much. When she goes like more personal and more like, you know, more honest uh, you know, uh-huh. to kind of keep on the theme here, then it really it really does impact uh, because there's only so much style because there is a lot of stylistic choices on these these songs. Uh, there's only so far that can carry you. you yeah, know? exactly. All right, fuck this. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Mike. Yes. The Video Music Awards from MTV from MTV uh, aired earlier, let's see, it was at the end of August, I believe? Uh, somewhere around there. Yeah, it was at the end of August, before Labor Day. Yeah. They aired on a Monday, and it was this simulcast thing where it played on like the VH1 and MTV and, and like Comedy Central and like all the Viacom bullshit, right? And so it's the, probably the widest net that they've ever uh, cast in terms of broadcast. You had Taylor Swift, you had Miley Cyrus performing, you had Lizzo performing, mm-hmm. you had a bunch of big famous acts performing, and it still sucked. <laughs> it sucked. The whole thing sucked. Not the whole thing. I meant to watch it, and I just didn't get to it. I, I was going to go uh, and watch the Lizzo performance and, and maybe something else, and then I didn't know if I needed to watch much more. Yeah. Why did it suck? Okay, so first off, I'll tell you why. Uh, it was the uh, the host. They got this guy, Sebastian Maniscalco, yeah. who's a stand-up comedian. And he's 48 years old, somewhere around there, uh, and he's hosting the show. Now, does this show need a host? No. No. First thing that happens, Taylor Swift comes out. She does a little bit of You Need to Calm Down, and then she does the complete performance of Lover. It's awesome. Crowd is hyped. Yeah. You're my, my, my. Like everybody's just kind of into it. Like the energy is there. This motherfucker comes out there and like starts doing a stand up routine that would work in like the shittiest Vegas casino that you could you could find or like a cruise ship or something like that. Talking about being triggered and safe spaces and bullshit and all that stuff. And like you, you kids can't handle it these days. And I'm like, who the fuck decided that this was the best host for this event? Like who's this that for? Sounds- it, Awful. it was it was the, the best part of this happened in the pre-show and then up until the Taylor Swift performance because uh-huh. Megan the Stallion, I don't know if you're familiar, familiar no, no. with her. She's a Houston rapper that her big hit this summer was Pretty Girl Summer or Hot Girl Summer. I'm yeah. sorry. And she's fantastic. She's very much in the mold of a Lizzo type, um, a, like a good version of Cardi B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. She's, she's fantastic. She performed early. And then, uh, yeah, and then Taylor does her thing, and it, the, the momentum comes to a screeching halt. And then, you know, they had a few good performances, particularly by Lizzo, uh-huh. uh, doing, uh, I think it was Truth Hurts, a little bit of juice. And God damn, that woman, she got up there, and she's flaunting her shit and everything. And she gets up there, and she's like, I'm tired of the bullshit. I want, like, I want everybody to be respected for who they are. Just this lovely, impassioned speech, and brought the house down. Rest of the the performances were just could not live up to that. Are they just not into it? Are we like expecting more from from a more modern age? Because I feel like I've watched a, a good number of award shows. A lot of times they're boring and long. Yeah. But even the VMAs, and you remember some of the highlights. But there were there were times where there were skits or whatever that just didn't really work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that really cuts it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. I like I don't know if I've said it on this show. I've said it on Sencast. I've watched every VMAs since 1994. Yeah. And it's it's always been my jam because it's always been a nice cross-cultural cross-section yeah. of popular music which back in the 90s included some alternative music. Yeah, yeah. I think it was on the VMAs that uh, Pearl Jam and uh Neil Young performed Rockin' in the Free World Free World. Yeah. Uh which was spectacular. That was 1993. Uh, so I guess I've been watching it since 1993. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always been fantastic moments. You had the, I think it was 1984 that Madonna did her Like a Virgin performance where she's writhing around with her wedding dress on. Yeah. And everything. Didn't Prince do the, when did Prince do it? Didn't he have like a... He's done a couple of them. I think he did. He didn't do Get Off, but he did one with the New Power Generation. Yeah. Uh, he, if you're thinking about that uh, that amazing uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, that was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, that he okay. did that. yeah. Uh, where he threw the guitar up and it never came down. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's done it a couple of times. But there's been indelible moments, man. Nirvana and Chris Novoselic throwing the bass up and it hitting, hitting him in the head. Mm. Like, uh, there's been fun stuff. And 
it, so it didn't land, and I know the ratings weren't good at all. They keep dropping the, and dropping. The lowest, the lowest ever, and they yeah, they're going down by like big percentage points. Now, why is it? Is MTV? I know MTV is getting less popular in general. Is that is that right? Or I. I are his top 40 becoming less relevant to your average person? Or is it just that now you just watch it on YouTube and you don't want to sit down and watch a full award show? Or? Yeah, I think it's mostly YouTube. I think they need to rethink their their distribution model. Because obviously, you know, with cable cutting and stuff like that, people aren't going to sit, <laughs> unless you're a psycho like me, you're not going <laughs> to sit down and watch a show from 7 p.m. until 9 p.m., sit through commercial breaks, sit through sponsored uh, segments and shit like that. Uh, the Jonas Brothers, I think, were sponsored by like Monster Energy Drink or something like oh, that. Oh God! Uh, and I like that Monster. The, I, <laughs> I like that Monster. I like the Jonas Brothers <laughs> yeah, record, by yeah. the way, that came out. Uh, but you know, it, 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 it's just not going to connect with the audience of today. It has to be some sort of digital platform. It has to be, you know, some sort of simulcast in real time, and it has to be, you know. Sponsored or paid for, or something like that. You're not going to sit through commercials for Cheetos and Fritos and shit like that, like you did in the old days. Why is that different than like just last weekend? I was watching college football. I bet you I watched. I don't know. I watched the whole game at the end of the day and watched some other you know, other things as the day went on. I don't know. Why is it that sports? Maybe the sports. Sports is 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 a different animal. I think it is. But it's almost. Is it because you know with the VMAs? There's not like an immediacy with sports. You got it. You know, if something happens, it's happening right now, mm-hmm. and it's exciting. And watching a replay isn't the same. Where you can go on YouTube or wherever right now and watch any of these performances. Yeah. It's almost like you just wait to hear which ones are good. Yeah. And then you'll go and see it. You'll have how you'll have it, BuzzFeed tell you here were the winners and losers yeah, of the VMAs. Exactly. And then then you can watch it. Well, how do you get past that? I don't. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. And and God bless them for trying. But there's just such like a corporate unfocus at MTV, whereby you can't get more stark than this this Jamoki up there doing the MC duties, versus you know Taylor Swift and like Lizzo and all these great up and coming performers. Little Nas X play, uh, performed uh-huh. too. Um, so you know, I I think they're gonna have to rethink the distribution model and get more of a cohesive you know, brand out there. Right now uh-huh. they're 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 spinning plates and I don't think they can keep that up. Do you know what Pluto TV is? No. It's this thing you get on Roku. It's like a free TV. And you know, they're all the, lots of channels going, a lot of a lot of junk. But there's some gems in there. There's like an MST three K channel and some stuff really? like that. Oh, yeah. Nice. We can just watch Mr. Science Theater all day long. MTV is launching a bunch of different channels that are like free and they're just putting them on there mm. ones like yo MT- yo mtv raps and okay. things like that which is kind of appealing ones like you know modern hits and then they'll have you know like there's like a cribs channel <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's awesome <laughs> what if you could just watch the shit out of that i know it's just on all day long <laughs> and it's free and you can go get it I feel like they're just throwing stuff up against the wall, and I'm glad, yeah. because why not? You, you can do it. <laughs> Cribs channel. There's a Pimp My Ride channel. <laughs> there might be. I don't oh, know. Oh, I would lose weeks of my life to that. I, I'm not going to get that at all on my television. I got to see if there's a Pimp My Ride channel. <laughs> there's got to be. They did like 10 seasons of that shit and like 30 episodes per, per season. Okay. I hate to... Inform you. I regret to inform you that there is no Pimp My Ride channel that <laughs> I know of. <laughs> just, I still watch just, the shit yeah. out of the Cribs one. Yeah, there's some uh, crazy stuff like that. But I feel like they're they're just trying stuff. It's kind of what's tying back into that. I don't know what they're doing or, or what they plan to do. They they don't know. There's a Ridiculousness channel. Oh, nice, nice. Um, the Challenge channel, Cribs channel. Um it really does feel like you have a corporate side who's trying to figure out what they want. What do we need to do? And there's like actually what is the hip new and what what the kids want or whatever. And they just don't have any yeah, idea yeah, yeah. how to get there. Uh, do you think that top 40 is less relevant? No. I think it's it's just as relevant now as it always has been. People were talking about how Old Town Road is dominating the charts and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the, the reliance on charts ebbs and flows as it, as it always has. The... Lack of music videos being played on MTV has been an argument that people have been For making a long since time. 1997 or something yes. like that. 
So, and they always try to, they always find a foothold. But what has always been consistent, at least in showcasing the musicians, has been the VMAs. And the VMAs now has gone so downhill that I think they have to rethink how they're going to present it and how they're going to do a cohesive show if they're going to do a cohesive show. Maybe they'll say, we're going to scatter our artists all over the world. We'll do Bruno Mars from Hawaii. We'll do you know Jonas Brothers from Cape Town. We'll do Miley Cyrus from England or something like that. Uh-huh. And just go from different spots and everything. I'd watch that. Yeah. All I want to see are the performances. That's that's it. I don't care about witty banter on stage. I don't care about the awards themselves. Nobody does. You care about seeing outrageous performances, good performances, things that you talk about, and that's what they need to uh, refocus their efforts on. Okay, so they cut the crap. They cut out all that other stuff and do their performances, and maybe do you make it like an hour or two show? Sure. Like, okay, these are the top people. We're going to fix MTV, Barrett. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> These are the top people. Taylor Swift, this is going to be a showcase. Come out. Give us your best 10 minutes. Yeah. We want that Lizzo. Come out. We want 10 minutes. We want – this is what you are doing. This is you, and we're going to put that in there. And then you get you know Jonas Brothers or whatever. And if you just cut the crap, maybe you have something that people really want to watch to make it – make it really an event because it's not no you're absolutely right this is what they do by the way at the iheart uh radio music festival oh, yeah is they do they do like give me your best 10 minutes for ariana grande from billy eilish from all these these things the problem is that's too much they get like I, i'm estimating something like 50 to 60 of the top top artists to do this mm-hmm. and that's too much that's too much i want like you said hour and a half of in 2019 these were the most relevant uh, acts to popular culture, and we're going to give you the the best that that they provided for us. What the hell is the iHeartRadio? It's a festival. I think it happens in Septemberish or something like that. So it should yeah. be coming up in Vegas. They uh, they rent a big ballroom and they invite everybody: Bieber, Ariana, Taylor. Like you think about the biggest artists, they get them. Uh, they've got deep pockets. Well, they have uh, ties to like radio airplay, mm-hmm. don't they? They own. They. I mean, they're like Clear Channel, basically. So they like pretty they, much they own, have to go yeah, on yeah. there if you yeah, want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, right. big corporation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right, Mike, you want to wrap us up? Uh, hey, everybody, thanks for uh, listening to episode two of Fifty Fifty Music Podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can go to our Twitter. Mm. It's Fifty Fifty Podcast. That second fifty is five zero. You should see a lot of music stuff on there. A lot of videos. We will be putting out the videos that we talked about on this episode and episode one going back. You can also email us at 5050amusicpodcast at gmail.com. Nice. Again, that second 50 is 50, and the first one is 50 spelled out. Uh, Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think. Tell us why we're right. Tell us why we're wrong. What do you got to say, Barrett? I love doing this podcast with you, Mike Hester. I really am having a lot of fun. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for setting it up. Thanks to the CinemaSins guys for uh, letting us use their studio. Woohoo! We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs> Woohoo!